And good morning. Well, that's pretty good. Good to see all of you here today. Welcome any guests that are here to Mount Calvary uh, Church this morning. Delighted to have you. I know we have some visitors from out of town visiting family, and uh, glad you're here. Uh, one highlight for today, Mary Snyder's back with us this morning. Mary, good to see you. Mary's been out with some physical things going on, but she's back today. She said, I'm glad to be back. And uh, then, uh, where's Jay Shear? We've got to do one other thing, a little carnal here this morning, if we can. Jay, did you win the other night? Number two. Did they give you a trophy for second place? Well, Jay was uh, all excited the other night. They played, your men's your softball team played for the championship the other night and uh, finished second. Were you disappointed? A little bit. Stop it. <laughs> Jay needs consolation after church, so he's one of your missionaries. Uh, you need to... Uh, console him but we're glad you're here summertime beginning to wind down and uh, soon kicking off the new year always look forward to kicking off a new year uh, you're kicking it off at school here kicking off some things for your church august 27th please mark your calendar and plan to be here that night uh, for a special night and uh, as you look forward to the future and moving ahead uh, it's exciting what uh, god's uh, doing well, I want to finish up with you today this particular series, Unity in the Body of Christ, or Functioning in the Body of Christ, if you would. Let's come to Romans chapter 12. And I would like to, uh, just this morning, if I can, let's just, uh, let me read it to you. Let me read the passage to you, because I think sometimes uh, uh, one of the things over, over the course of time that gets neglected is the reading of Scripture. And the reading of Scripture is, is very powerful. Because the scriptures is the, is the written word of God. And when we read the scripture, if you can envision this in your mind, just picture Jesus up here saying this to you. Okay? Because in essence, that's what's taking place as we read the scriptures. It is what governs us. It is what is the supreme authority in the church, the Bible. It's not the pastors, not the elders, it's not deacons, it's not any of that. The supreme authority in the church is the Bible, right? And I know you believe that. So let's just take time to look at it this morning. Beginning in verse 1. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation, giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. 
Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lack diligence and zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in the, their needs. Pursue hospitality. In our text today, beginning in verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give cheerful thought to what to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourself. Instead, leave room for God's wrath, because it is written, Vengeance belongs to me, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. And finally, Paul says, do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. As we get into the text today, what we're going to see is, is unity is relational. Assumption, we take that for granted. Unity is relational. It's our ability to get along with each other. And that is something that is constantly challenged in the church. But I think it's something that's constantly challenged at home. It's, it's something that's constantly challenged in every relationship you're at, whether it be at work, whether it be at school, wherever you are, relationships are always challenging. And that is just how life is. Unity is relational. But spiritual gifts are functional. I was in my devotions, if I can share a passage of scripture as I was reading in my devotions, flip over to Hebrews chapter 2. I was reading, uh, began reading through the book of Hebrews this past week, and I came across a passage in Hebrews chapter 2 that kind of caused me to stop and say, whoa, that's really an interesting thought. So in Hebrews chapter 2, of course, the author of Hebrews is writing, and as you get down to verse, it talks about... Uh, we must pay attention all the more to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken through angels was legally binding and every transgression and disobedience received a just punishment, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? That's the passage, chapter 2. But then he begins to get on. It says how, and he says, this salvation had its beginning when it was spoken of by the Lord, and it was confirmed to us by those who heard it. Now, watch this next verse, verse 4. At the same time, in other words, while Jesus was ministering on earth, relating this salvation, conveying to us, and demonstrating this salvation to us, at the very same time, it says this, God also was testifying. In other words, God was operational. Here's how God was operational at that time. He says, by signs and wonders. That's what God was doing. And then it says... By various miracles. God was doing that. And then notice the next statement and distribution of gifts from the Holy Spirit according to his will. 
So in other words, God was showing himself real as he was showing the spiritual gifts that are given are, are the church's way of displaying the salvation that comes from God himself. So we have looked at two things in this text in, in chapter 12. There's three things. We didn't deal with the first one. In order for us to function in the body effectively, we have to be having a mind that is being transformed, not being conformed to this world or to this age, but a mind that is being transformed by Christ so that we have the mind of Christ. That's essential for our functioning in the body together. The second thing that's, that's important for our functioning is the spiritual gifts. And we took time in Romans chapter 12 to look at that concept of, of giftedness. And now we come down to the relational aspects as we get into this. And what I want to say to you today is because what we looked at first was Paul deals, first of all, with relationships in the church. And that's critical because what he's going to deal with today, he's going to say, now let's take those relationships outside the church and expand it because unity is dynamic. It impacts. And where it impacts, it impacts your world. I, I, I will say this to you. You, you. you can argue with me if you think. Most of Elizabethtown knows what's going on at Mount Calvary Church at any point in time. Do you agree with that? The people of E-Town know what's going on. Now, I'm not saying every individual, but people know what's going on. Most people know. I found this over at, at, at when growing up. Everybody knew what was going on at all the churches in the area. They just knew. And you'd talk about it. You'd hear it at restaurants. You'd hear it at different places. So unity impacts. It impacts your world. And your ability to develop unity, which will be one of the hardest things you do, because Scripture will teach you, by your love, they will know you. They will know you by your love for each other. And so Paul is just taking that concept that Jesus taught, which John teaches later in the Bible, in, in 1 John, and he just says, unity impacts. It impacts. Now, as we get into chapter 12, verses 14 on, we were going to begin to say we want to take our Christianity, now it goes to the world. And it's based upon what Jesus taught us. And I want to just take you back and say, here is the mission, okay? At the end of the day, this is what Jesus taught. He said, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That's the mission. Baptizing them. You're going to do that tonight. In, do, in baptizing tonight, you're going to fulfill your mission that you were given by Christ himself. But the mission is this. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Now, we have a tendency sometimes to say, well, that's missionaries' jobs. And the... the the truth is, no, that's all of our task. Go and make disciples. That's given to the church. The church is made up of individuals. This is our responsibility. And then Paul's going to talk about that today as we get into this. So your life as a believer, it must be governed by relational principles so that the body of Christ can function and can impact the culture. That's what Paul's going to argue in our text this morning. 
Now, as we get into it, I want to just give you a bunch of concepts because he kind of just rolls through concepts. And I, we want to just take a test today, if you would, in your life and say, as you go out into the world, as you are in the process of sharing Christ, as you are in the process of making disciples of Christ, which means, first of all, bringing them from the world into a saving relationship with Christ because the disciple is made first by new birth. And then from birth, there is that growth that takes place after that. So as you're in that process, and specifically today as you're working with people in the world, here is a checklist of things that must be there for us to truly impact the world. Okay? And the first one is be gracious. Paul says it this way, bless those who persecute you and don't curse at them. Don't, do not curse them. Now, this doesn't mean let language fly. What he's saying is don't seek them any harm. Don't seek to damage any reputation. Don't seek any ill will upon them. As you work with people in the world, your responsibility is if people persecute you, you respond by wishing them well. Bless those who persecute you. And do not wish any evil upon them. Why? Because our responsibility in the world is to clean the world up of evil. Our responsibility is to be people who go into the world with a sanctifying presence. And if I go into the world, or if I in any way am wishing ill or wishing evil upon someone, what I'm doing is I'm not being a sanctifying influence in the world. I'm bringing more evil into the world. See it? So be gracious. Bless those who would curse you. Bless those who would persecute you. And don't wish any evil on anyone. Be gracious. Be gracious. Second thing he says... In verse 15, he says, be compassionate. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be compassionate. What the world needs to see from the church is grace, and it needs to see compassion. We care. We care. We care deeply what's going on. Part of our transition team in fact, Ryan's responsibility was to what's going on in E-Town. And uh, some of the stuff we found out as we're going through it, suicides among girls are up 200%. Suicide among young men are up 50%. The drug addiction problem in E-Town is rampant. Divorce and abuse are rampant in E-Town. And what was discovered by a transition team that just went in and began to probe into the town with different stakeholders in town and say, there's, there's stuff out there that, that needs to be addressed by those who understand because God addressed the stuff in our lives. Now we can in turn help address the stuff in their lives. And there's some serious stuff going on in this community that needs people who are compassionate. I had a friend who's a pastor up in the Tunkhannock area, and he had a person in his church whose daughter 
13 years old, committed suicide in the church. And as a result of that, his daughter committing suicide, he himself decided that he was going to start a ministry for people in the community whose kids had committed suicide. And so they started a Bible study in their home, and they invited the people in the community whose kids in the community had, or whose parents' kids had committed suicide. And they began a Bible study. People began to come. People began to come. And they just showed compassion, and they just cared. But they also knew what it was like, because sometimes you don't know what people go through until you go through it yourself. Until you experience certain things, we, we can look and say, I, I can't imagine what a person who loses a child to suicide feels like. I don't know. Never had to go through that experience and pray I never do. So they started a Bible study and people began to come. And they just showed compassion, they showed care, they showed graciousness. And people began to come to Christ. And people began to get saved as a result of just caring. I'll tell you the biggest thing, it's interesting Paul puts this first. Because he said what he needs from the church of Jesus Christ as we enter into relationships in the community, we need to be gracious. We need to be compassionate. We need to care. We care. We care that your marriages can be successful. We care about your children. We don't want them to see being addicted to drugs. We don't want them to see this whole thing of suicide take place. If it does, we're going to minister to you with the compassion of Christ that he ministered to us. So he says, we minister really with broken hearts for what's taking place in our community. Paul goes on, he says this, be humble, be humble. He says it this way, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. I was tempted to put the three little guys up there again but, uh, because Paul continually deals with attitude in this chapter over and over again. And here again, he deals with attitude. So what he's saying is we go out in the community, don't go out there thinking that we're the solution for the community. We go out there thinking with a gospel perspective, we understand that we're the issue in the community because we're sinners too. And we identify with sinners at the point of sinfulness because we, they can identify with sin. They can't identify with salvation. They've never experienced it. You can identify with salvation. Your salvation identifies you with other believers. That's salvation. But our point of connection with people that aren't saved is not our salvation. It's our lostness. It's our sin. And so we understand their sin. We understand their sinfulness because we had to confess it in order to find our salvation. We had to come to the cross and say, God, I'm a sinner. I can't be saved apart from your grace. I don't have in me what it takes to have salvation. It's not there. I need what you have done by sending your son. I need what you have done by your son going to the cross. I need what you have done by your son taking my sin on himself and then nailing it to the cross, shedding his blood so that I could have forgiveness. I had to recognize that I didn't have what it takes to get salvation. And what we need, as Paul says, as we go into the community, we don't go in there saying, we got the answers. We go in there saying, we understand the problem. Jesus has the answers. We understand the problem. We understand why people get divorced. We understand why people get addicted. We understand why there's abuse, because that's what sinfulness produces. In fact, sin will take you. Its ultimate victory is sin leads to death. And suicide is sin winning in the life of an individual. And what we want to say is, no, God can win in the life of that person. 
Left to themselves, yes, they're going to do that. Left to themselves, they're going to seek ways to satisfy their own selves. We get that because we did that. But as believers, we came to the point where we realized that's a cheap substitute for God's grace. That's a cheap substitute for God's mercy. And so we came realizing that our sin did not produce happiness. Our, our sin did not produce contentment. It only produced a desire in us to want more and more because it never satisfies. Who was it years ago that said sin is like a greasy pole? The old firehouse that had the pole where the firemen would run from the second floor, jump on the pole and slide down to the floor? They said sin is like that pole that's greased up. Once you as a sinner get on that pole, you just slide down that pole. You can't go up because it's sin is like a greasy pole. You don't stop till you hit the bottom. We get that. We get that. And so when we go out to minister, we go out to minister, we understand your sinfulness, we understand the consequences of it, but we're gracious and we're compassionate. And we don't have the answer, but Jesus has the answer. And we want to introduce you to Jesus. So Paul's teaching. He says in this passage of Scripture, in verse number 17, he says, be morally upright. Do the right thing. He says it this way, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. It really comes from Jesus now. Paul's picking up here some of the Sermon on the Mount, some of the teaching of Jesus and reiterating that. Repay no one evil. But you don't know what they did to me. If you knew what they did to me, you'd understand why we're doing this to you. Never pay back evil for evil. Why? Because we're the sanctifying presence. And when we pay back evil for evil, we're not a sanctifying presence. We complicate the problem because we're adding more evil into a place where evil already exists. And so he simply says this, be morally upright. That's a great challenge. Then he says, be peacemakers in our culture. Verse 18, he says, I love the wording of this, by the way. Look how it says it. If possible. <laughs> so what's that tell you? In some cases, what? It's not possible, right? So Paul gets it. He said, if possible, but then he doesn't stop there. He says, and as much as depends on you, he said, live peaceably with all. We're peacemakers. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, what? Blessed are the what? Blessed are the peacemakers. We're peacemakers. We don't go into the community to stir it. The gospel will stir it. We go into the community to be peacemakers. Now, here's where you get this. Here's where it becomes critical to understand. The first place we make peace is right here. Now, when we make peace in here amongst each other, we can go out there and we can make peace out there. And we spread peace. Only place that people are ever going to find peace is in Jesus Christ. You're not going to find it anywhere else. 
You're not going to find it in politics. Good heavens. You're not going to find it there. You're going to find it in Jesus Christ. Because he said, my peace I give to you. But notice, this is relational. So when I go out to people in the world, I don't try to stir it up with them. I try to find a point of connection with them. And then my responsibility as a believer is I don't want to share Jesus with you. I want to tell you about him. I want to tell you about his forgiveness. I want to tell you about his grace. So if it's possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all people. Then he gives another one, be forgiving. Forgiveness, I've defined it for you before. Forgiveness, my definition of forgiveness is this. It's the promise never to bring something up again in a judgmental way. Okay? That's forgiveness. If my wife comes to me and says, hey, I did such and such, well, I'll use this the other way. If I go to my wife and say, hey, I did such and such, uh, would you forgive me? And she says, yes, I forgive you. What, that, what she's saying to me is this. She's saying, I love you. I will never bring this up again in a judgmental way. That's forgiveness. Because that's what God does to us. When we ran to the cross and we came to Jesus and we said we need your forgiveness of our sin because we all here understand our sin, right? We get that. Nobody had to teach me. My parents didn't have to teach me how to sin. My parents had to teach me not to sin because I knew how to lie. I knew how to steal. I knew how to cheat. I knew how to get my brother's toys. And when I got them, they weren't his anymore. They were mine. My parents had to teach me not to do those things. So we all understand our sin. But when we came to the cross of Jesus and said, God, would you forgive us of our sin? Jesus said, forgiven. It means this. He'll never bring your sin up again in a judgmental way. Ever. Ever. You say, well, I have one about the ones I didn't confess. When you come to Jesus and you ask him for the forgiveness of sins, he will never bring sin up again in your life in a judgmental way. Someday when you stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ, he's not bringing up sin. I've heard people say, when you stand before Christ, you're going to answer for this. No, no. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin left the crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. He will never bring up my sin against me in a judgmental way. That's his forgiveness. That should be our forgiveness. When we go out into the world, what we demonstrate to the world is we're forgiven by God. We're here to offer you God's forgiveness because Jesus will forgive any sin. I played against a kid in high school. He was the quarterback for uh, our rival, Quakertown. And uh, I met his dad years later in the situation we were in. And I'll never forget the meeting we had together. And uh, we were talking. And I, somehow our conversation got around to heaven, and somehow our conversation got around to salvation, and somehow our conversation got around to forgiveness. And I, I said to the man who was, at that time, I went to, kid, went to high school with his, his son, so obviously he was older than me. I said to him, well, wouldn't you like to go to heaven? And he's the only person in all the years of my life that ever said this to me. He says, I'm not going to heaven. I don't deserve to go to heaven. The sins that I've committed are too great for God to forgive. And I just looked. All I could do is look at him and say, Sir, there is no sin that is greater than God's forgiveness. There is no sin that was not taken care of on the cross by Jesus Christ. There is no sin in your life that is bigger than God's ability to forgive. 
And I'll never forget. No, I'm too big a sinner. I deserve hell. Well, sir, we all do. And he just went, amen. But I'd like you to know today, if you're here and never trusted Christ as your personal Savior, that whatever you've done in your life, whatever you've thought about doing, any sin that you've ever committed, that God can forgive it. And the place that you're going to see that forgiveness most is right here in the church because the church will forgive it just as quick as Jesus will. Because we're not here to judge people. The Bible will judge. God will judge. We're here to extend the forgiveness that God has extended to us. Or as one author said, I have been forgiven by God so that I might offer forgiveness to anyone. That's us. That's us. Forgiveness. The main characteristic of Mount Calvary Church should be this. Forgiveness. So that when Mount Calvary Church goes into the community, the thing we offer the community more than anything else, forgiveness. But it's not our forgiveness. It's God's forgiveness. Be forgiving. Then he says this, be loving. He said, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. He said, if if he's thirsty, give him drink something to drink for in doing so you heap burning coals upon his head so if we have people out there that are enemies treat them well i often think this what if what if some organization that is opposed to christianity would show up at your church to protest i think that'd be one of the neatest things that ever happened because i'll tell you what we would immediately should do we should just stop the service right here and we should start up the coffee pots and we should grab the donuts, and we should grab the cookies, and we should go out there and begin to intermingle with them and say, here, have a cup of coffee, have a cookie. Let's talk. Let's talk. What is it that you're angry about? What is it that in you has stirred this deep emotion that you, have to, you feel like you need to protest? Let's have a conversation. Because if our enemy hunger, if he's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. That's what Jesus said. Paul reiterates it here. This is just, again, this is a reiteration of, well, it goes back to Proverbs. I think Jesus taught this again in the Sermon on the Mount. Be loving. Forgiveness and love should be the thing that just flow out of our lives with each other. And then finally, he says this, be an overcomer. He ends of verse of scripture with this do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good our responsibility as individuals is this at home my responsibility is to make sure i bring good not evil to that environment my wife's responsibility is the same my children's responsibility is the same our responsibility going into the community is not add more evil to the community our responsibility is to bring good to the community And so he says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It begins inside. It extends outside. Everything that takes place in here, we can now go out there and offer to them. 
a right relationship with God, a right relationship with others. That's what we do. Now, the power of your life, personally, okay, and I'm going to add the power of the church, based on this passage of Scripture, is in the gifts given to you by the Holy Spirit. Most of you exercise your gift. You just exercise it. It's just a part of you. The power of your life is in your relationship to each other in the church. And the power of your church is in your relationship to each other. Okay. They get out of sorts. It's going to impact all the way around. Okay. So in your relationships in the church, got to keep them right. That means this. That means we beat each other to the cross. Remember the other week we talked about what is a gospel-centered church? A gospel-centered church is this. I'm the problem. Jesus is the solution. Forgiveness is the medicine. Grace is the remedy. Reconciliation is the product. That's a gospel-centered church. So you have something against me, come see me. My own, man, come see me. Talk to me. Come up, I'm going to race you to the cross. And here's what we do. We together are going to kneel at the cross. And I'm going to ask your forgiveness... And at that point, you're going to extend grace. And when grace and forgiveness come in contact with each other, that's the point of grace. That's the power of the church. That's where reconciliation takes place. Reconciliation cannot take place without forgiveness, grace. But that takes Jesus, and that takes me recognizing my sinfulness. So my relationships to each other is critical. There's the power of your life. There's the power of the church. Okay? And it's also in your involvement in the lives of people in the world. You've got to mix it up with people of the world. For me personally, I love this. This is, where, this is where my giftedness comes in. I love being with people in the world. I, it's just me. I, it may not be you. That's fine. It, it, it's, we're, we're all gifted differently. But I love being with people in the world. And uh, to be able to just, I, 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 don't have to, I don't have to get you the gospel in one setting. But I'm going to show you a life that just cares about you and loves you. And I'm going to do everything I can to just pour into your life. And that's why Jesus said, go into the world. Because he's poured into your life. He wants you to pour into the lives of others. What do you see? What do you see? Do you see immigrants that need to be thrown out? We could get political. What do you see? What do you see in that face? A little pain? Hurt? What's the answer for her? What do you see in those little eyes? What do you see in that face right there, that face there? Because what you see will pretty much tell you what your spiritual gift is.
I see hurt. I see people there that Mount Calvary could reach with the gospel and just share Jesus. I see people that need Jesus, the solution, the only solution to the issues of our world is Jesus. Impact your world. That's what God wants of us. Think of it this way. If all he was concerned about was your salvation, then what he would have done the day you got saved, he could have taken you right to heaven. Why did he leave you here? Why did he leave you on planet Earth? Because once you were saved, he could have taken you right home. Sure would have been a lot easier from our perspective, wouldn't it? Why did he leave you here? The answer is, well, the answer was in the chairs. Because there's still empty chairs that need to be filled. And God wants you, and God has uniquely gifted, and God has uniquely designed each one of you to impact your world for Christ. And it only happens when we're intentional about it. So is unity important in the church? Yeah. Why? Because unity is dynamic. It impacts. Now, Calvary Church, we believe the Bible describes believers as members of a body, one body, with the expectation that we all contribute to the body for the common purpose, the glory of God. Let's spread his glory. And let's just be a people that come and say, God, here's my life. As we sang it earlier, take my life and let it be. All for thee and all for your glory. Watch what God does. You do this. Seek to build friendships with people in the world. Now don't do the things that they do. We're in it, but we're not of it. Seek to build friendships with people in the world. Listen to their stories. You know, people like this. If you could sit, listen to their story. Because out of their story is going to surface the pain that sin produces. And then share a slice of your story. But we listen first. And then we share what God has done in our life. Let's pray together, shall we? God, you called us to go and make disciples. You, in this passage of Scripture, teach us very carefully relational principles that are critical. God, I pray that these relational principles would be what guide and direct and govern our lives and our relationships with each other. And then as we go into the world, Lord, we go in in various ways. Some go in coaching in little leagues. Some go in teaching in schools. All of us, for the most part, go in working in places and in environments. We go in and we shop at different places. We eat at different restaurants. We all have different points of entry into our world and into our community. 
And God, we just come to you today and we just ask that you would use us, each one of us, to ill spread your forgiveness, your love, your compassion, your grace. We're not out there to put our life on display. We're out there to sow Jesus and put his life on display so that others can see Jesus in us. And the only way they'll see Jesus in us if we commit ourselves to living by the principles that you give us in your word. And so, Lord, convict us today where we need to be convicted. Illuminate our minds today and show us who we need to go to and what we need to change in our life to make right and what relationships need to be restored so that as we go out, our unity will be dynamic and impact our culture for Christ. So convict us first here and then use us greatly there, we ask in however way you see fit. But help us to be able to bring your sanctifying influence into the world in which we live, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.